Hi there, this is Elliot Fishman, and I'd like to welcome you to our latest podcast. Today's date is roughly July 27th, and I will tell you, I don't know where you are, but if you're in the United States, it is hot as a bear. Baltimore, it's like 100 degrees and 100% humidity. It's those few weeks of the summer where you really do appreciate the winter. I tell you, I was in New York this past weekend, and this part is not a joke, and actually visiting my daughter. It was so hot in New York that I was happy to buy her clothes when I was shopping with her, anything to get out of the heat. I was also in New York this weekend for a meeting. We ran an advisory board from GE Healthcare, and the advisory board meeting was actually on coronary CT angiography and cardiac imaging in general, and it'll be published uh, around RSNA time in Applied Radiology as a supplement. You may have seen these supplements before on CTSS. There's a number of them uh, on the front page, and they're really good. And I thought I would speak to you a little bit about some of the comments at that meeting as it relates to coronary CT angiography. So let's talk about coronary CTA. The first thing is, of course, everybody's very excited about it. Tremendous opportunity, tremendous change. And at this meeting, we had cardiologists. We had Stefan Achenbach uh, from Erlangen. We had Michael Poon from New York City. We had Jill Jacobs from NYU in New York. Um, so we had a number of people speaking on coronary imaging. We also had uh, Richard White from Cleveland Clinic and Marilyn Siegel from Mallinckrodt also were, were present at this meeting. So it was, it was a very it was a terrific meeting. But let me talk to you a little bit about some of the um, comments. So the first thing I want to speak to you about is coronary CT angiography. What is the prep and what's the feelings? And I think one of the things that surprised me a little bit was how low people want the heart rates. I've tried to focus with beta blockers to get in the mid-60s, while some of the other people, particularly Stefan Achenbach, who's had tremendous experience, really would like to get people down to around 60 or even less. So that's one of the things. People are pushing not so much 65 heartbeats anymore, but down to 60, something to keep be aware of. In terms of premedication, everybody's giving beta blockers. Most people are still giving PO, though IV is becoming uh, not uncommon. 50 to 100 metoprolol tends to be the magic number. We've tended to give 50. 100 is probably becoming more common. The other thing that I've noticed is people are giving nitroglycerin routinely. We have not at Hopkins. Nitroglycerin, as you know, will or nitrates in general, will dilate the coronary arteries. So it will make a better image. It's routinely used at coronary cath. So many people are using it routinely. They give the, uh, the pill sublingual, give it just before they get the calcium score so it takes effect. There is concern, of course, with nitrates that it will raise the heart rate, but the experience to date has been that since patients are beta-blocked, it's not really an issue. So PrEP, again, becomes critical. Cardiac CT, like most of CT in general, really is very technique-dependent but cardiac CT more so in the fact we've never spent this much time pre-medicating patients in a sense. We give glucagon to a virtual colonoscopy, but we don't do much else routinely in radiology in terms of doing CT scanning. And what you really have to get used to is if you're doing coronary CT angiography, you better become familiar with beta blockers, and it looks you better become familiar with nitrates. Most of the time, they're very safe. It can happen that a patient can become hypotensive from the beta blockers. There are certain contraindications for beta blockers, particularly patients who are asthmatic, patients who are on inhalers, for example. So again, you want to indeed be very, very careful.
What else can I tell you from this meeting? Uh, the imaging, of course, was spectacular, and you'll read the six or seven articles that will get published, as I mentioned, around uh, RSNA time in late November, early December 2005. In terms of looking at the coronary arteries, everyone agrees that you need to master the workstation. I've said this for 20 years, and so I'll say it again. If you can't use the workstation, you're going to be at significant uh, uh, limitations as radiology moves forward. With coronary CTA, we use a combination of 2D and multiplanar and 3D using both volume rendering and MIP. There are lots of new softwares being developed that will make life easier, but unless you can use the workstation, you're just not going to make it happen. So one advice that everybody said, learn how to use the workstation. So that's a very, very critical message. Again, there is still some controversy, if you want to use the word controversy, as to the best way of doing a post-processing. Some people still rely very heavily on simply scrolling axial images to look at the coronary arteries for stenosis. Our feeling is you got to look at the images in 2D as well as 3D. You really want to optimize visualization, and that's been our experience. And if you go to CT as Us, you go to the front page, the cardiac section, you're going to see a lot of stuff there. Other things we looked at were some of the other applications beyond looking at the coronary arteries, or at least should I say the native coronary arteries. The work with stent grafts, looking at patency, and bypasses was discussed. Stent grafts very much depends on the stent graft. The faster you scan, the better you can do the stent grafts. It's actually very dependent on the stent graft itself. With some of the stent grafts, it's very, very easy to image and look for luminal narrowing. and others, it's much more difficult. On the other hand, with bypass grafts, saphenous grafts, lemographs, uh, even patients with higher heart rates can be imaged fairly successfully. And we've had very good results. And the, the literature talks about high 90% accuracy for looking at these graphs. So that was something that was discussed. Um, I think that is going to be a very strong application because how do you really image patients who've had stents or graft placed and then have some vague chest pain? It's just a very difficult scenario. And if CT can provide the answers, that's going to be terrific. We also spoke um, a little bit about some of the non-coronary artery applications. For example, looking at shunts, looking at tumors, looking at the uh, left atrium, looking at the pulmonary veins. For ablation studies, might be some examples of things that were discussed. Or congenital heart disease in the adult patient. And that'll be more the subject of a different conversation. So in saying... Um, what I've said to, to this point, I think the takeaway message is, is that cardiac imaging, particularly coronary artery imaging, is real. It's not something that is going to happen next year. It's happening today. And it's my feeling if you wait till next year, you may not be in time to do it. Now, just one last comment regarding cardiac CT. I did ask the panelists the question, must you have 64 slice CT or can you get by with 16? Um, there was some discussion. Of course, everybody would love to have only 64 slice scanners, but many people felt surely for the non-coronary artery applications, 16 slice, particularly with a tube that rotates very quickly and has a lot of power, um, 16 will work very well. Coronary artery imaging, it's okay, but 
everyone would admit that 64 slice is really the way to go. And that's our opinion. If you're going to do coronary artery imaging, you got to do the best job you can. And that really means 64 slice CT. In saying that, let me just sign off here, wishing you a good day. And again, if you have any questions, just email us. Have any comments, just email us. We've received a number of comments from people looking at uh, these podcasts, and they've all been very positive. So we thank people for their thoughts and suggestions. Also, uh, probably most of you know that you don't need to own an iPod to do podcasting and listen to the webcast. But it is the easy way of signing up for the subscription, which, of course, is for free. Anyway, have a nice day. Thanks very much.